get to look at the Word together this morning. We looked this morning at Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. This describes some of the important days of Jesus' teaching and healing ministry. It says, On one of these days, as he, that's Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who would come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him, lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them and said, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. I know that you are a people person. I know that you just like people and that you're just at ease with people and, and it's just the simplest thing for you to do is to be around people. Does that, sound, does that sound right? Okay, you're waiting. But every once in a while, we can have some awkward moments with some people. And I find that sometimes one of the reasons why we have an awkward moment with someone is because they might know too much information about us. They know more about us maybe than what we would want to know. I was thinking about what some of those relationships uh, might be. Uh, someone who might have too much information uh, about who I am. Uh, I, I was thinking maybe your, your dental hygienist. They, they might know more about the details of your life than what you're, you're comfortable with. How about the person who... Um, colors your hair. Not that I'm saying that someone colors your hair, but the real possibility, the slight possibility that they know what your real hair color is. Uh, how about the nurse that weighs you in at the doctor's office? I always explain I'm wearing a very heavy pair of shoes, and, and my pockets are, are full, and my phone has a lot of contacts on it. Uh, that's the reason why the slide is landing where it's, it's landing. Uh, what about the person who cleans your house? Uh, I find that a lot of times the reason you get someone to clean your house is so that it reminds you to clean your house before they get there so that they don't know the real truth uh, about your house. Uh, what about someone who has seen you not just cry, but I mean boo-hoo cry. Sometimes it's a little bit awkward because that person knows too much about you, or at least it feels that way, and then all of a sudden because they, they, they know too much, we're like, ooh, I'm going to take a step back, and that kind of place, that the level of intimacy is sometimes more than what we want to handle. As we take a look at Luke chapter 5, 
man, there's so much in this passage of Scripture. We could spend a lot of time here. And, and I love this passage of Scripture. This may be one of my favorite of all of Jesus' healing uh, miracles that, that he does. It has an immense amount of theological impact. It's a great moment. But what I want you to notice in this passage more than anything else is I want you to see what Jesus knows. And I want you to see what it is that Jesus sees because it tells us that in this passage of Scripture, Jesus saw their faith. It tells us that in this passage of Scripture, Jesus saw this man's sins. It says Jesus saw their hearts and he perceived their thoughts. Jesus sees right through us. In fact, I think it would, be, uh, it would be quite the understatement to say that playing hide-and-seek with Jesus is one of the great mismatches of all of history. Jesus sees all kinds of things. In this series of messages, we're talking about headspace, where we're talking about overcoming mental and spiritual fatigue. So we've been talking about what do we need to have lined up inside of our head? How do we process our thinking? We began the sermon series looking at Psalm 19 and verse 14. And Psalm 19 and verse 14 tells us this. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we couple that, though, with what we've just seen about Jesus, as the Jesus who sees our faith, he sees our sins, he sees our heart, he perceives our thoughts, this verse carries an immense amount of weight. It's not just that Jesus sees things in his sight, but he sees the things inside of us that are not visible, the things that are buried deep down inside. And now, how do we respond to Jesus who sees all the deep and secret parts of our minds and our life and our soul and our thoughts? Does that draw us to Jesus, or does that make us more uncomfortable to Jesus? What do you do with the fact that Jesus, who is alive today, knows every single thing about your life and your thoughts and your heart? Well, here's the good news. Here's the good news this morning. The place that we need the help the most is the very place that God wants to be at work in our life. Now, when we look at this passage of Scripture and we look at this idea, the idea that Jesus sees every single thing about me from the inside, every single detail of my life, my mind, my history, all of those things, that can make us say, oh boy. But the reality is those places of insecurity, those places of vulnerability, those places of intimacy, those are the places where God most wants to be at work in our life. So how do we respond with a Jesus that we can't play hide-and-seek with this morning. Let's take a look at the passage of Scripture and see uh, what God has for us. Uh, the first thing that I would tell you, and this is really what I want you to hear this morning, uh, the first thing that I want you to hear is that the more messed up my life is, the more drawn to Jesus I should be. 
And if you can only take one thing away from this message this morning, this is the sentence that I want you to have. The more messed up I am, the more messed up my life is, the more drawn to Jesus that I should be. Now here's the amazing thing. Jesus, he wasn't just good, and he wasn't just great, but Jesus is holy perfection. The world has never seen holy perfection like Jesus. He is unblemished, untarnished, untouched by sin. Now, that can be an intimidating thought to come up against somebody, come up next to someone who is completely unblemished, untarnished, perfect, holy in every single way. And yet what we see throughout the Word of God is that people continued to be drawn to Jesus. Not just any people, but messed up, broken, sinful people clamor to get as close to Jesus as they possibly can. In fact, that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. We see that there's a little bit of a crisis because people are trying to get in to see Jesus. They are trying to get this man in to see Jesus, but they cannot get into the room. They cannot get into the doorway. They can't tap on people's shoulders and say, pardon me, coming through, coming through, because there are so many people that are trying to get to see Jesus. And let me assure you that the people who were in that room were as messed up and as broken and as sinful as the people who are in this room in this moment. And in fact, the people who gather around him in the crowds as he walked from city to city and town to town are just as messed up and as broken and as sinful as the people that we pass every day in our community. It's an amazing feature, this idea that how can this holy person who dwells among us be someone that people want to be around so much. He didn't intimidate people. He didn't shame people. He didn't lecture people. But what he did is he received people. Now, how is that possible? Here's the deal. The reason why you and I are tempted to play hide and seek every once in a while is because there's something or some part or some area of our life that we would just as soon not be exposed. That there's something that, that may be in this room that I don't want you to know about. Maybe, maybe there's something that happened in my life this week. Maybe it's from way long ago. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something. I would just as soon not everybody know this part of my life. You, you probably have at least two of those things in your life as well. And so sometimes we go through life trying to hide those things and thinking, if that ever got discovered, then this person would not love me. This person would not like me. This person would not want to be around me. So we spend our time playing hide-and-seek, but here's what happens. Jesus already sees all of it, and it doesn't change his mind about you. In fact, he sees all of it because he created you. He sees all of it, and he still loves you. He sees all of it, and he came to die for you. He sees all of it, and he offers you forgiveness for every single piece of it. Here's the amazing thing. He sees it, and he still receives you. In fact, that's the whole spirit of Jesus. That's the whole way Jesus responds. In fact, as soon as this passage of Scripture is over, the next passage of Scripture that we look at is the story of Jesus going and meeting a man named Levi. Now, Levi is a very wealthy person. 
and a very lonely person. And the reason why he is a lonely person is because his wealth came out of the pockets of every single person that he knew. He was a corrupt and unpatriotic tax collector. And he collected money from his fellow Jews to pay to the enemy of Rome to fund the armies that kept Israel under the thumb of Rome. And he made money by cheating every single person he got out of it. And Jesus walks up to him and says, come and follow me. Not only does he not walk to the other side of the road, not only does he speak to him, not only does he engage him as a person of value, but he says, you, Levi, who everybody thinks is the most broken person that they know, not only can you hang with me, but you can be one of my disciples. You can be one of the people that is attached to me for the rest of time. I will tell you, if there is something about Jesus that triggers shame in your life, it is quite possible that you are dealing with not the real Jesus, but a hand-me-down Jesus. Not the Jesus of Scripture, but the Jesus that someone has been telling stories about because that's not the real Jesus. Now understand, Jesus does not wink at sin. He never has, and he never will. But what it means is he wants to give you a new life that is free from sin. You see, he didn't come to shame you. He came to change you. He came to give you a brand new life. He came to give you freedom from sin. You see, shame anchors you in your past. Jesus wants to anchor you in the future. He wants to give you hope that only comes from him. I want you to see as we look at scripture, I want you to see as you see the pictures of Jesus, I want you to see the most broken, sinful, messed up people that are constantly being drawn to Jesus. And I also want you to see that Jesus never discounts his holiness. He never says, listen, because these people are messed up, because they're, I'm going to be slightly less holy. I'm not going to emphasize holy. He, he, he never for a moment discounted his holy. But this is just as important. He also never discounted his love. Yes, he saw their sin, their brokenness, their troubles, their struggles, their hurts, their wounds. Their hang-ups, he saw all of it. There was no need to hide. And he loved them in the middle of each piece. Scripture tells us time and time again that Jesus would see the brokenness of someone says, and he was moved with compassion when he saw them. I don't know what has happened in the 2,000 years since Jesus left footprints on this earth. But one of the things that's happened is that somehow when we tell the story of Jesus, somewhere this aspect of who Jesus is is being lost. And Jesus seems to come with shame or a lecture. And that's not the spirit that Jesus ever carried with him. And one of my challenges to us as a church and, and to us as the people of God 
as the people who carry the name of Jesus with us, is that we need to have the same spirit that Jesus has where we never discount holiness, but we never discount love. In fact, the challenge that, that I want us to hear is that we need to be the kind of people that love Jesus with all of our heart and love real, broken, sinful people at the same time. Sometimes it feels like we have to choose between the two. Am I going to love Jesus or am I going to love messed up, broken people? Hear me, hear me, hear me. Jesus did both. He was fully holy and he loved the broken and the messed up and the separated and the isolated. And he made it so clear that they were banging down the door to get to him. Let me tell you, Jesus does see every single thing about your life. And he didn't just see it just now. He's known it all along as it unfolds inside of your life. But the more messed up you are, the more you should be drawn to Jesus. The more messed up I am, the more I should be drawn to Jesus. There's another thing here for us to realize, and it's not quite as easy for us to talk about, but the reality is that the more prideful I am, the more underwhelmed I end up being. The more prideful I am, the more underwhelmed of Jesus that I end up being. See, there's some characters in the story here that they're just kind of planted right there in the middle of the story. It talks about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you, you know that we talk about this group all the time because they're, they're, they're seemingly present all of the time. And, and if we talk about these folks, well, well, what you need to know about them is that, that these were the, the big shots. These were the the know-it-alls. The, these were the experts. These were the people who set the rules. These are the people that kind of looked around and said, listen, these people are above the line and these people are below the line. And one of the things that's really kind of hidden in this passage is the fact that it says that Jesus was there. He was teaching. There were the crowds that were coming. And it says, present also were the scribes and the Pharisees who were sitting in the room. Now, that's not just describing for you the furniture and, and who was where in the room. But in Jesus' time, the role of sitting was the role of judgment. Everybody else stood, but the people who were in charge, the people who were the judges, the people who were the authorities would be seated. In fact, it tells us that when Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, he sat down and he taught the crowds. It was the position of authority. And so here is Jesus walks into this room, and the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are sitting there, basically with little notebooks, waiting to write a blog post about all the things that Jesus is doing wrong. Now, can you imagine that? Sometimes we read our Bibles and we think, oh man, how lucky were the disciples to be right there with Jesus, to be there on the front row, to see all of these miracles happen. Oh, how great it would be. They were so like, man, I wish I could have been one of them. Listen, I want you to see in this passage that there were a lot of people who sat on the front row 
saw Jesus accomplish and complete miracle after miracle. And it never moved them. It never changed them. It never rearranged their life. You see, the reason for that is because they were so filled with self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction and self-congratulatoriness and self-superiority. In fact, this shows up in a couple of different ways. One of the ways this, this self-satisfaction, this self-superiority, this self-congratulations, boy, you're doing great, it shows up in a couple of different ways. One way is that sometimes our self-sufficiency causes us to say, you know, I wish everyone could be more like me. You ever say that? Not out loud, probably. But in your mind every once in a while, man, if, if everybody would just see the world like I see it, if everyone would have the same moral fortitude and certitude that I had, if everybody would just behave the exact same way, I always get, I only talk bad about people when they need to be talked bad about. If, if only the rest of the world could be like me. Now, you probably wouldn't say it out loud, but it's almost like you would put your arm around God and look at all the people and say, God, aren't they a mess? Now, there's a little bit of a danger. <laughs> Not a little bit of a danger. There's a lot of danger there. Because when Jesus talks they, it includes you. And Jesus talks we, it never includes me. When we talk about the world being a mess, that includes me. And this self-sufficiency, this self-superiority makes people say, man, I wish they could all be like me. Man, that's not good. But let me tell you, there's another layer that's worse. And that's when we say, boy, I wish Jesus could be more like me. And that's where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are. They're like, boy, I wish Jesus would understand all the things that I understand. I wish Jesus would be able to see politics the way that I, I see. I wish Jesus would be able to know this about all of these other people. I wish Jesus would understand Scripture as well as I do. And basically, we want Jesus to copy us instead of us to copy Jesus. It comes from a spirit of self-sufficiency. And when we walk in with a spirit of self-sufficiency, Sometimes Jesus is just not that impressive. But here's the problem. The real crisis is not so much that Jesus sees everything about you. The real crisis is maybe you don't see everything about yourself. That we live with these massive blind spots and these self-deceptions. The reality is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost not to high-five the self-sufficient. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, not to congratulate the people who thought they had it all right. And when we carry ourselves with that kind of pride, sometimes, whether it's in worship, before the Word, amongst other people, we can be this close to Jesus and not even notice because we're so self-sufficient. 
I would also tell you in this passage that the more open I am, the more open I make my life, the more Jesus can do in me. The more open I make my life, the more Jesus can do in me. We can't go too far in this passage without thinking about the guy being lowered down into the room. His four friends put him on a mat carrying him to Jesus. They try to get their way. They probably try to get there early, but the crowd was, was too much. They, they tap some people on the shoulders and say, you know, emergency coming through and, and just absolutely nothing until one of them gets an idea and says, listen, let's take the staircase around the top. Let's peel the, the roofing off and let's drop them down in the middle. Now the guy on the mat, he can't walk, but I think he can hear. Wait, what? What the plan? Listen, that's a whole lot easier for you guys. I'm the one getting lowered. And the people in the room that wouldn't let him in, here comes this sight of this man on the mat being lowered down. But there's part of that image that I don't want us to lose. The idea of this man being lowered to Jesus without power, without strength, without any other kind of hope and looking at Jesus and saying, can you fix this? It was that spirit of being delivered to Jesus without power and without hope that caused Jesus to look at this man and to see the faith of his friends and to say, your sins are forgiven. And just as a bonus, pick up your mat and walk. What a moment. Now, I always kind of put myself in the story sometimes. I think that there's a moment in the passage of Scripture says that he got up immediately, which I think, good job out of him. Because there's a part of me that I think if I'm on that mat and I've been lowered, and Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. There's a couple moments there that I'm struggling what if I don't believe that Jesus can do it? What if I don't want to be disappointed that Jesus promises me something that he can't do? What if in the middle of this, I try to stand up and I fail? What if this whole crowd of people laughs at me for trying to do what I'm completely unable to do on myself? You know, I think there are some times that we get lowered before Jesus and he wants to do a work in our life. And we don't believe it. We're not sure that he can. We're worried that somebody might laugh at us along the way. But he picks up his things, stands up, and God does an amazing work in his life because he has shown up open and says, Jesus, do it. He's not the only one that has to make a decision there. The whole crowd has now heard Jesus teach, perform miracles, prove a point about his authority to forgive sins. Every person there has to decide how they're going to be responding to Jesus from that point forward. The passage of Scripture tells us that they were amazed, that they were astounded, that they were in awe. But I think some of those people were impressed 
And that was it. I think some of them said, wow, that's really, really amazing. But they never turned their lives over to Jesus. This close. Saw it all. But they never left themselves open to what Jesus could do in their lives. You know, when I think about hide-and-seek, there's two things that can go wrong in hide-and-seek. Okay, probably a lot more things than just two, but two things that I think of. One, you can be not very good at hiding. You, you, you've played hide-and-seek with your kids. They're, they're not very good with hiding. They think that because they close their eyes, you can't see them. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll hide behind a stick or something like that. And you're found. It's no fun to play hide-and-seek and get found so quickly. <laughs> But I also think that there's another thing that's hard is that not only do you not hide well enough, but maybe you hide too well and people stop looking for you. <laughs> and they go on and get ice cream and leave you out there in the field wherever you hid. Like, hey, remember me? <laughs> the beginning of this passage illustrates the perception of all of the obstacles to get to Jesus. Too many people too many problems, too many walls, too many doors, a roof, all of these things that stand in the way. What I want you to see in the middle of this passage <laughs> is that with Jesus there is no obstacles. The fact that he sees everything about us tells that there is no obstacle. Jesus is ready to have complete intimacy with us. He sees every part of your life. There's no obstacle. There's no crowd. The fact that Jesus sees every part of our life is the best news that you can have. Because you have been found. And you are not forgotten. And you are not left alone. As we come to our conclusion this morning, I wonder about what your response needs to be uh, maybe you're a believer, a follower of Christ. But you realize that when Jesus looks into your life, your heart, your soul, your, your thoughts, your mind, man, there's some sin there that needs to be dealt with. Man, maybe you're the only person that knows what those sins are. <laughs> maybe your whole pew knows what they are. I don't know. But there's some sin and you just got to know that Jesus sees right through that. And to play hide and seek with him has been a waste of time. And this morning you need to be forgiven. You're a believer. You're a follower of Christ. But you need to be forgiven of some stuff that's out of order in your life today. I want you to know that he's ready to forgive you. Maybe, maybe you're not a believer. You haven't even understood what that word means. But maybe your story today, what you need the most is that you need to be loved by Jesus and to allow him to forgive every broken, sinful, and rebellious part of your life. Seems impossible that the perfect holy God would love you and forgive even that. But that's what he does. And if you would say yes to him, he will pour out his love 
and forgive every broken place in your life. Maybe you're here today and you just need to be received by a body of believers who will love Jesus and love you. You need a place that you can belong, that can be yours. And you can bring the warts, you can bring the junk, you can bring your past, and you can bring your future into a group of people that says we will love you and love Jesus at the same time. In fact, in your bulletin at the bottom there in the notes section, there's a little new section there that says my response. Man, what I would challenge you this morning is to just think, okay, what am I supposed to do with what the Word is taught this morning? And I think it's possible that, that maybe you need to just put a little mark on that section of the bulletin that puts F. It says, I need to be forgiven. There's some part of my life that's out of order. It's newly out of order. It's been out of order for a while. But I need to be forgiven. Maybe the greatest need in your life now is that you need to be loved by Jesus who will forgive you of all of your sins. Maybe what you need to do is just put a little L there and say, what I need more than anything today is to be loved. And maybe what you need more than anything is to be received by a group of people who will love you and love Jesus at the exact same time.